All right, Thrive Church, how are we doing this morning? It's great to have you guys with us today. And if you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 41. That's Luke chapter 10. Well, there's a story of this perfect man and this perfect woman. And they met each other, and they had this perfect courtship. Then they had the perfect wedding. And they were living the perfect life. And then on Christmas Eve one year, as they were driving back from dinner, they noticed on the side of the road that none other than Santa Claus was broken down on the side of the road. So what does a perfect couple do? They decide to help Santa Claus because they're their perfect couple, right? And so they load all of his toys into their vehicle, and they're delivering toys, and they're going out, and they're saving Christmas. But something bad happens. They get in a wreck. So bad with the snow and the ice, they end up going off the road, and they wreck. And there's only one survivor. Who is the lone survivor? Of course... We know about Santa Claus, and there's no perfect men in the world. They didn't exist there in the story. It was the perfect woman, because we know that women are perfect, so she was the lone survivor, right? And all the women said amen, but here's the man's response to that. He said, it all makes sense now. There was a woman driving the car. That's why there was an accident. <laughs> all right. Well, to tease it out a little bit, I want to talk to you about perfectionism. Something that in our society, many of us struggle with in many different areas. And also, not only in our society, but also in Jesus' day, he had a close friend who dealt with the same thing. And he actually speaks up to her. Jesus is going to attend, in Luke chapter 10, going to attend a dinner party hosted by his best friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. If you remember, Lazarus was the guy he raised from the dead. It's like a pretty good friend to have in Jesus when, you know, it's like, you can do anything, you can create food, raise from the dead. He's it's a pretty good friend to have. And so he comes over for dinner. And you've probably prepared for somebody that comes over to your house for dinner that you just want the house to be spotless, you want the food to be good, and you're going overboard to get it right, right? Like you're just, you're just working really hard. Well, that's what happens in this story. Martha is getting the food ready. She's getting the place uh, ready. She's spotless. She's got to make sure the food's right. And then her sister Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to Jesus, and hanging out. Martha is really upset about this, and she's like, hey, Jesus, tell Mary to get off her blessed assurance and come help me. And then Jesus says something to Martha that I think we miss so many times in this account because we've maybe heard it so many times. In Luke 10, verse 41, it says, but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. Now, traditionally in this passage, I would speak to you about how Mary was a worshiper and Martha was a worker. And maybe if you've been in church more than two weeks, you've probably heard that message before. And there is a truth about that. Mary was, quote, unquote, worshiping. But Jesus didn't condemn Martha for what she was doing. you got to remember something about Jesus. He was 100% God and 100% man, right? He got tired. He got thirsty. He wept. Things affected him emotionally in this life. And Jesus got hungry. And so Jesus was excited for a good meal, right? Jesus was hungry. 
In the South, that's when you're really, really hungry. You're hungry. And so he didn't condemn Martha, watch this, about the meal, but he wanted to speak to her about her internal life. He said, Martha, you're so worried and upset about all these details. Martha, a dinner party should not raise your level of anxiety to this level. It's not healthy. And he noticed that something in her internal life was off. Whereas in Mary's internal life, it was right. It wasn't just the action that she was doing. It was the fact that something inside of her was off. And what it was was this. She had anxiety from pursuing perfection. It was causing her personal suffering in her life. And Jesus was concerned about that. He was concerned that this level of anxiety is just not healthy for a person to live with. And he spoke to her. To, he said, dear Martha. And he spoke to her about that. I believe if Jesus was speaking to us today, he would put dear in whatever your name is in there. And he would say, you're really worried and you're really upset about blank. And what is that for you? What is it where you are overly concerned about something to the point that is hurting your emotional health? That's what happens with perfectionism. And so today's big idea is this. If you have your notes handy, write this down. It's the pursuit of perfection will lead to destruction. Yeah, that's it, very ominous, but it's true. <laughs> Welcome to Thrive. The pursuit of perfection will lead to destruction in our lives. Uh, for Martha, it was not only eroding her emotional health, but it was eroding her relationship with Jesus to the point that Jesus had to call her out about it. And in our lives, I want to submit to you that also, when we pursue perfectionism in an unhealthy manner, we chase that carrot of life, we often find destructive things happening around us. Our relationships erode because we're so nitpicky over everything that goes on. We have high standards for others. Or internally, in your own emotional life, your emotional health is suffering because you are so wrapped up with trying to be perfect. And it doesn't help. That in this day and time, social media heightens all of that, right? Like, like, like you see everybody else with their highlights. It looks, it looks like their life's perfect. It looks like their parenting's perfect. And you don't realize and you don't get to see all their behind-the-scenes stuff, so you're comparing yourself constantly to this image of perfection. Uh, matter of fact, it was pretty funny at the first service, very ironic and almost like godlike. Um, so with Keith been out this week, he's like Mr. Mr. Organized. Keith keeps the wheels turning behind this, this machine. Um, we didn't know who was going to do transition after worship. Me and Brian were saying, they're like, you doing it? I'm not doing it. You doing it? You going first? I'm going first. I don't know. And Lauren's like, I don't know who's going first. And it was perfect because we messed up. And can I tell you, our staff are like always so anxious about everything going perfect, everything going right. So you know what? God still moved. And I want to take the pressure off you today because some of you are wound so tight in your internal life, it is causing you to be worried and upset over things that you shouldn't be worried and upset about. See, in our life, what happens is this. We learn perfectionism as a coping mechanism in our life. It's something from a very early age that you end up learning. Like for some of us, and this is why we become perfectionists, you can write this down, is 
one of the issues is a fear of failure. Some people become perfectionists because they don't want to fail, because that makes their image look bad. So what do they do? They work hard at never failing to the point they don't want anybody to ever think that they ever missed anything, they ever had a, a mistake in life, and it causes them personal suffering. I wonder if Martha didn't want to fail in front of Jesus. She's like, what if Jesus doesn't like my meatloaf? <laughs> what if it's not seasoned enough? And I think we deal with that. Maybe you do. Maybe that's where you learned it as an early age that, you know what, if I make great grades, then I get a better response from my parents. And the better achievement I do, the better at never making mistakes, the more I feel loved. Uh, for others of us in here, we spoke about this last week, but it's the need for approval. And so many of us are perfectionists because we want other people to pat us on the back and say, hey, you've got what it takes. You're so awesome. Oh, man, you're just great. You're just greatest things in life. And so we want approval. And maybe Martha wanted that. Maybe she wanted Jesus to say, Martha, pff, look, look at this. You have kept the house spotless. You've cooked a great meal. You are awesome. But what did Jesus do? The exact opposite happened. Jesus said, Martha, no, 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 dear Martha. Matter of fact, I don't approve of how you're causing yourself to suffer. Uh, others of us in here, one of the reasons that we end up becoming perfectionists in life and causing ourselves suffering is the desire of control or the desire for control. See, one of the things that's, that's super important, and I want you to understand this is very important in your life, is if you'll trace a neural pathway, this is what a good psychologist will do, they'll bring you back to your childhood and they'll ask you, tell me the first time you experienced shame. Tell me your first memory of this. Tell me your first memory of that. Tell me how, when the first time you felt deep rejection, what happened. Because everything as an adult, see, I remember you being a youth pastor, youth pastoring was actually easy because the students had not experienced tons of trauma yet. They had not built up coping mechanisms in their life of being aggressive or passive aggressive or controlling or whatever. As we become older, we don't get better at emotional health, y'all. Because when I say amen, we actually get worse without correction to it. And so in life, if you trace it back, some of us didn't have control over a situation when we were younger. And inside of our hearts, we said, I will never be put in that situation again. I will always remain in control, and I will control everything I can around me to never have that feeling again that I felt as a child. And so that's why we become perfectionists. It's a coping mechanism. And again, I, what I want to do today is help you take the pressure off and to take a little cue from Mary and become more like Mary in your life so you don't cause suffering. Well, if you're a perfectionist in here, I have your life verse. A perfectionist life verse is found in Matthew 5, 48. And you're going to say, ha, huh, see, I told you. Ain't got no time for sloppy stuff in life. Jesus wants excellence. Because he says, be perfect, therefore, as your Father, Heavenly Father is perfect. You're like, see, see, Jesus says be perfect. So I have an excuse to nitpick everybody, to make sure everything's controlled, to make sure that I am a perfectionist. And that's not what that life verse means for you. I'm getting ready to destroy your life verse if you're a perfectionist in here. That verse there is in context of Matthew 5 when Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount and he's unpacking to these Jewish religious leaders who had lost, like, just contact and lost the, the joy of serving their heavenly father and what it was all about. 
And he was saying the end game is not obeying just religious laws, guys. It's not going through the motions. And Jesus says, I want you, the word teleos, perfect, to grow in maturity and to grow in love and to be like your heavenly father. They had stopped maturing in their faith. And many times, we'll talk about this a little later, the enemy of our progress of our life is actually perfectionism. And we don't keep moving forward because we're so perfectionistic with everything that we deal with. Now see, there's different types of perfectionists in here today. I said the word perfectionist, but all of us deal with it in different areas. And so what I wanted to do is share with you, and I want you to pinpoint which type of perfectionist is you. Uh, the first type, and I actually want to read this to you so I don't miss what this. The first type is this. If it's a self-oriented perfectionist. And watch, you're going to find yourself in this. It says, you hold unrealistically high expectations of yourself. And you battle with feelings of guilt, often obsessing to the point of inefficiency. You're prone to procrastinate and struggle with deep feelings of inadequacy. That's the self-oriented perfectionist. You just hold such high standards for yourself. You know, I had a professor one time, I was walking to chapel with him, and he had given me a, a zero on a paper that I made an A on. Yeah, you know? And the reason is this. At the end of every paper in that biblical interpretation class, you had to type out and then sign, I have thoughtfully and carefully or thoughtfully and thoroughly followed every step. I forgot it, but my paper was an A. He gave me a zero. And I was so distraught. I was angry. I was beating myself up. How could I let this happen? And Dr. Looper was an ex-tank driver, but a wonderful professor, and he loved the Lord, and he was super sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And we were walking, and I'll never forget it. It was like it was yesterday. He said to me, he said, he said Kevin, I'm going to drop the lowest grade. You know this will never count against you, right? He said, why is it you have such high expectations of yourself? He said, it says, something's wrong. He said, I, I don't know where this comes from, but, but you need to deal with this. And you know you have those conversations in life that like they never leave you. That lasted about 30 seconds. But that started my realization, and maybe today this will start it for you, that I was an unhealthy perfectionist internally. Here, here's the, the next type of perfectionist, and maybe you find yourself in this one. It's the externally oriented perfectionist. You believe others expect you to be perfect. So to cope with the pressure, you often use self-deprecating humor as a defense. You make fun of yourself. You often feel alone, depressed, and desperate because you know you will never be enough. I'm going to show you why that's not true, but many of us feel, have these feelings of inadequacy because we put more pressure on ourselves than other people put on us. And it causes, again, suffering where Jesus would speak to us. And then the next one is this, and this is super important, because you have perfectionists that are internally or externally oriented, and, and they, they call suffering to themselves greatly. But then you have the other type of perfectionist that causes suffering to others. And that's their main mode of operation. It's, it's an others-oriented perfectionist. You expect others to live to your impossible standards. Because you tend to lack empathy, you often tear others down or use abrasive and demeaning humor toward those who don't meet your standards. 
Now, as I surveyed this and I looked at this, and I always like to process messages. I just don't write sermons to preach to you, right? Like, I, that's not the way I want to go. I always sit down and I ask the Lord to speak to my heart. As I looked at this, I thought, which one am I? Well, to, you know, my dismay, I was none of them, actually. I, have, I don't struggle with this at all. That's a joke. I'm just kidding. <laughs> breathe, breathe, breathe. I found out that it was all three of them. And I'd realized that in my life, as I just shared, I, I, I hold high expectations of myself, very high. And then I realized that I believe others have these expectations for me that I can never reach. And then as a defense mechanism, I judge others in the areas that I'm most successful at. And I posted this last night on social media, if you follow me. Something the Lord was just showing me. I was looking at this message last night, just praying and going through it. And God was just ripping my heart apart, saying, man, you got so much to work on in a good way. But when I went to a counselor several years ago, he pinpointed this. I'd never heard of the term your personal suffering. He says, you're causing yourself personal suffering. Because I would obsess over every meeting. The notes had to be ready. Everything had to be just, just everything had to be done perfectly over every message. I mean, to the point that I, could, I would completely memorize my messages. Completely, completely. Like photographic, whatever they call it. I had to work at it. It didn't come naturally. <laughs> And it was causing me suffering and anger. And every time I disappointed somebody or couldn't live up to an expectation I thought they had, I would get angry and I'd fly off the handle. Now, I never abused my wife because she would kill me. <laughs> no, you're laughing, but it's true. She's Colombian and Italian, right? We'd be on Channel 6 News. <laughs> but I was suffering so much, guys, in my life suffering wasn't enjoying life i was just like martha oh i was pumping the workout man i was pumping it out oh every, every detail was covered but i was so internally worried and upset about everything and here's what my counselor told me he said you need to go into things unprepared i was like whoa i'm not i'm not paying you no 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 you get behind me satan our God's a king, and he, man, he's all about excellence. I, I'm all about some excellence. But he said, what you're doing is, is you're, you're obsessing about everything to the point that it's hurting you. And so what I had to do was this. I had to choose certain things I would not prepare for intentionally. I would write some cliff notes and just go into it. And at first, I felt like I was sinning against God himself, <laughs> Like, I would plan a staff meeting. I know where we're going with, but I wouldn't, like, send an agenda out and do all the— I knew exactly what we had to accomplish. I said, you know what? I'm going to walk in, and five minutes before, I'm going to write the whole agenda down on the board, and we're going to go for it. And why, why did I start doing that? Not because I'm sloppy. It's because I had to take the pressure off. Matter of fact, everything that I do, I really like to be the best at it. Like, I'm an achiever, a performer. I love to do it. And, I, you know, I'm really into, like, weightlifting now. And, I'm, you know, I still, you know, play basketball. And do you know what I do, though, to counterbalance that? Are y'all ready for this? Are y'all ready for this? I keep Oreos in my house with milk <laughs> because I need to not try to be perfect at achieving that because I will go overboard and obsess about it, and it won't be fun anymore. So... I keep Oreos, and I don't track the Oreos that I eat at night. Come on, somebody. Do you feel the presence of God in the house today, right, with that milk? I just love it. But, but for me, that's what my issue was. 
And I've had to learn to take the pressure off in my life. I've had to learn to say, I need to be more like Mary, and there'll be things that I don't need to always prepare for. When I was in college, Dr. Tracy Reynolds, one of my mentors, he's still a pastor to me today. We were texting back and forth last week. He's been in my life for many years. You know, I was in, in my last semester of college before my internship, I was taking 18 credit hours, working three jobs, a youth pastor, library, and serve pro, and then 18 credit hours, I was taking Greek three, like the final Greek course, biblical interpretation two. I mean, it was just like slammed. And, what I, and I, what I was trying to do was this, guys. I was trying to give the same amount of energy to every class to make sure every class was perfect with all A's, every class. And Pastor Tracy told me, he said, why are you doing this? Because I came to his office, like I had this blood vessel right here that just kept like pulsating. I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm, I'm going to stroke out in college. Like I'm pretty sure at any point, like they're going to find me on the floor just out, you know. Couldn't handle the stress and pressure. He said, why? And here's what he said to me. And I want to encourage you, is this what I'm saying to you? He said, I teach youth ministry class to you, Kevin. He said, don't prepare for it. The professor told me, he said, you got Greek, dude. Like, prepare for Greek. He says, you do youth ministry. Why are you putting all the energy? He said, take the pressure off. And so this journey for me has been a long journey where at this point in my life, I've learned to understand that perfectionism can lead to destruction if we're not careful with it. But here's where it's going to start with. It doesn't just start with me giving you some tips on what to do. If you don't get it in your heart spiritually, if you don't understand the gospel, if you don't understand our heavenly father, which the, the Jews in that day and time had just lost con, you know, totally conscious of who their heavenly father was and what the gospel is, you'll never get this right. And so before I go into anything to help you with a natural world, you have to let this help you in your spiritual world. And so write this down here, the next step. Embrace the spiritual truth that your pursuit of perfection can't help you with God. Embrace the spiritual truth that your pursuit of perfection cannot help you with God. I know you're judging others and you think you're a little better than somebody else because, you, you know, you have better behavior than them. That's not how the kingdom works. Maybe some of you believe that, man, you know, God's going to let you into heaven because you believe in Jesus and you're a really good person and you're doing good things. It's not the gospel. It's actually anti-gospel. And many of us don't understand the gospel, which when that frees you up, then you'll be able to get everything else right with perfectionism. Here's how it affected me. I didn't understand the gospel for years. I was a preacher. I taught the Bible. But I grew up in a church when I got saved that were sweet people. But man, you were at the altar every week hoping that you were still saved, <laughs> right? Hoping that you didn't lose your salvation that week. Like, like I was taught that there are sins of omission and sins of commission, and you better every night before you go to bed say your prayers of sins of omission, things you did, that you didn't know you did. If you didn't, you could wake up in hell if you died. So every night I was just begging God, just begging God to please, please forgive me. And, just, just, and, and there were people in our churches that got saved every week. <laughs> I'm serious. And here's why. I, I was a perfectionist, and I thought the better I was in my behavior, the more proud God was of me and the closer I was to God. I want you to hear something real quick. You can become more sensitive to God through his word and through prayer, and we all need to pursue that. 
but you're never going to be any more closer to God than you are the moment that you accept Jesus Christ. There are not levels of Christians. That's what Paul's whole argument was with the Judaizers. There's not like, you know, middle school, junior varsity, and varsity Christians, right? There are people who have grown in maturity. There are people who are more sensitive to God. There are people who understand his word and really dig into it. But you have to understand something. Your works will not help you with God whatsoever. And if you're banking on getting to heaven and saying, Jesus, I went to church. I even gave that mission trip one time. You know what? And I was a good person. I did good things. You may have missed the whole point of the gospel. And here's what you're going to do in your spiritual life. You're going to let the pursuit of perfectionism try to earn you brownie points with God. And in Romans 3.20, this is what Paul, this is his rub with these Jewish religious leaders who had got into the church and they were telling the Roman citizens who were Gentiles, they were saying, hey, no, 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 yeah, you're, you're Christian, but you've got to obey the 613 laws. So you need to, to, like our Jewish culture, we're copying and pasting it, and you need to do all this to be made right with God. It's Jesus plus the law. It's Jesus plus the Torah. And look at what Paul writes to them, and he was a Jewish, like, a scholar. And here's what he writes to them in Romans 3.20, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. If you think just by obeying the Ten Commandments, then God's going to accept you, then you've missed the point. Look what he says here. He goes on to say this, for the law simply shows us how sinful we are. The more, here's the thing, the more you read the Bible, the more you realize you need God's help in everything in your life. Because you realize you can't measure up. You become less judgmental to others, less critical of other people and their issues, and you become more dependent upon your heavenly Father to help you on a daily basis when you open up God's holy word. And so no one can be made right by just obeying things and obeying laws. That's what the Jews were trying. And then Paul goes on to say this. He says, for we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. How are you made right with God? By placing your faith in Jesus Christ. I don't, listen, during worship, I don't care if God feels a million miles away. He is still with you and he's as close to you as he ever will be in your life. That's why one thing I stopped the guys here saying, oh, you can just feel God's presence in the house today because there are people in here who are struggling, they are suffering, and God feels a million miles away. But we do not serve, or, and we do not serve a God of feelings. We serve a God by faith, and we're made right with him. We're as close as we ever will be because of the finished work of the cross. Amen? And so let me say this. Some of us in here today, are treating our heavenly father like our earthly father. I had an earthly father who, he had very, very, very high expectations. He was not very loving. He was very efficient. <laughs> he got me through school. I had great grades. But I feel like I could, I could never measure up. I feel like there was always just like, you know, if, you made a, if you made a 92, it had to be a 98. Why was it a 98? It was just always something else. And he was a very detailed man. And I felt like I could just never measure up to him. And what I realized was I kept copying and pasting that relationship with my earthly father to my heavenly father. And that is not our heavenly father. And if you don't get the spiritual truth first about the gospel, 
and that God fully embraces you, he fully accepts you through Jesus, then you'll continue to live out this perfectionistic mindset. You're gonna cause suffering in your own life. You have the Martha syndrome, and you'll cause suffering in all of those around you, especially if you're a parent and your children, because you're gonna have that to be contagious to them as well, and then the cycle continues. So first of all, I want you to embrace that truth. God fully accepts you. He's pleased with you. You are pleasing to him because of Jesus Christ and the finished work. That's the first thing you have to realize. Now, that's the good part. Here's the next step of that. We have to understand some things of how to destroy perfectionism. And and here's the, the first thing you have to understand. Know that the enemy of completion is perfection. Some of us never complete things. We don't move forward with things in life because we're so perfectionistic with it, right? And if you're married in here, one of you is probably a perfectionist, and the other one's like, hey, it's good. And that's where your arguments come at. And so I had to learn this very important statement, and you can write this is the deepest thing you're ever going to hear in church. It's called Gitmo. G-E-T-M-O, Gitmo. Write down Gitmo. It's called good enough to move on. And we have to learn that in our life, that you know what? It's just good enough to move on. It's okay. Everything's going to be all right. I, lo- I loved what happened in our first service. My perfectionistic side wouldn't let it happen at the second service for online crowd too, so we fixed it. The first service, we just, I just, we just messed it all up. It was awesome. But it's good enough to move on. See, the enemy of your progress in your life is your perfectionism. And many of us will shy away from even reading Scripture sometimes because we just feel like we can't measure up. That's not what Scripture is for. God will challenge you to help you to continue to mature. And perfectionism can cloud your progress. Here's the second thing you have to know, too. Release control or you will lose what you are trying to control. Release control or eventually you're going to lose what you're trying to control. Remember what I said earlier about that? That somewhere along in your life, you learned that you will never lose control again. Maybe there was something in your life that happened and you just declared, I will never be in a place I don't have control. And here's what happens, especially with children as they grow up. You're never, people say, get control of your child. You heard that? Get control of your child. The goal of parenting is not to control your child. The goal of parenting is to teach your child self-control. to let them make decisions. You know, you can't get wiser without making some decisions. And I know any good parent like myself, you want to protect them from everything. But if you bubble wrap them and put them in a closet for 20 years and then you release them, they don't know what self-control is. They don't know how to say no to certain things. They've never been in that environment before. And so sometimes parents actually, when they wonder, why why did my kid go crazy when they went, yeah, got 20 years old? I'm sorry, They they were in bubble wrap their whole life. They've got to learn to make decisions to have self-control. And sometimes, whether it's our spouse, whether it's a child, whether it's a job, it could even be a church you attend, you keep trying to control it, and you will lose the very thing that you tried to control so much. And the very thing you wanted, you'll never get. And so you have to learn to release the pressure and release the control. Martha, you know what, Martha? The meatloaf may not be the best, and that's okay. It's about the company that you're with, not the food that you have. And you have to release control sometimes. And finally, this morning, 
Here's why the most important thing we have to realize. Let the spiritual truth of salvation impact your natural life. And that's what I want to get across this morning. Some of you are suffering. I mean, you're just, you're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not enjoying life. You're bitter, you're angry. You're worked up all the time over things that you just shouldn't be worked up about. I believe Jesus could sit down with us and say, my dear, whatever your name is, I'm concerned about you. This is not the life that I wanted to give you. This is not what it means to follow me. I want you to be full of joy and enjoy the journey and release the pressure. But you have to realize that Jesus is not putting pressure on you in your life. He's not upset with you. He's not angry with you. He is your biggest cheerleader. Just like if my son does sports, whether he does great or he does bad, we're going to get ice cream afterwards, right? His performance means nothing to me. He's my child. I said this last week at Richmond. My dad used to say this all the time. I didn't understand it until I was older. He said, I don't call you son because you shine. I call you son because you mine. Now, I know that's Southern slang. For some of y'all don't understand some of that. You'll need to get the interpretation of tongues. But, but uh, <laughs> I don't call you son because I call you son. And that's the same way your heavenly father views you. He loves you so much. He's pleased with you. Stop being so worked up. Stop ruining and eroding every relationship you get in because you just, eh, eh, eh. No one ever climbs out a better person by being criticized and critiqued all the time. Release that pressure. My prayers this week, some of you are going to actually travel back to your childhood and figure out and ask God, God, where did it start at? And then you're going to travel to your presence and say, God, thank you that I can be Mary and I don't have to be Martha. That I can, I can, in my internal world, have joy and have peace and it be okay when everything messes up because it's not the end of the world, is it? That's my prayer for you. So this morning, will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this story of Jesus and his friends. And Father, I, I just thank you so much for this truth about the internal life of Martha. God, I, there are people in here today that would identify with her and would say, I'm so just in emo emotional knots all the time. I put so much pressure on myself. I create this world of anxiety for myself. And God, I pray that the pressure would be released today. For those that are online, God, watching I pray the pressure will be released today. And they would have their internal world changed to experience the joy, the peace, and the righteousness that comes from the Holy Spirit. We invite you right now, God, to speak into our hearts the same way Jesus spoke to Martha. And as we're in here today, pray in church, maybe your step is to be embraced by God. Maybe you've never fully surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you think good works will get you to heaven, being a good person. Maybe you've never embraced the spiritual truth of being made right with your heavenly Father through Christ. If that's you today, I want you to pray this prayer. Make this confession of faith with me, whether you're in here physically or you're online today. Today, you're going to feel the pressure lift off by receiving Christ as your Savior. And you pray this. You say, God, I admit I cannot save myself by being good enough. I believe that Jesus is Lord. 
I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day. Today, God, forgive me of all my sins. I repent. I turn my life to you, God. And thank you, Lord, that you're not weighing our relationship by works. I am fully forgiven by the cross. Now help me, God, to be a Mary and not so much of a Martha. In Jesus' good name that we pray, amen.